Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. Well, good evening. Welcome to Masterclass Theology. I'm Big Rev. And I'm Professor D. We are in session six of our journey with Joseph tonight. A couple chapters tonight in Genesis. We are in Genesis 46 and 47. Let's open up with a brief word of prayer, and then we will journey forth. God, we thank you for this evening. I thank you for my friend Mick here with me tonight, and, and this is our great discussions we've been having, Lord. I've been, I've been personally so blessed by this series, and especially our discussions as we as we talk about uh, the Judah and Joseph and the, the victim and the villain and where that's unfolded, Lord. That's just been a personal blessing to me. And I know so many listening to these podcasts are blessed by that as well. Joseph's story is so great, Lord. And I'm so glad that you included it in your Bible. And and all these characters are presented warts and all. And we just see the good and the bad and, and how you are impacting their stories, Lord. And, and I'm just so glad that we get to take this journey. We pray for our time tonight. I thank you for those who are listening on this podcast and that, that this would be a blessing to them. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, let's get going. We're in chapter 46, uh, 1 to 7. So Israel set out with all that was his. When he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob. Uh, So we got two different names here. We got first uh, the name that God gave to Jacob, Israel. And now here it is, Jacob. And he says, here I am, he replied, kind of a, a throwback, or I guess maybe a throw forward. I, I think uh, little, little boy Samuel is going to say that, you know, to God as well, when he's in the presence and Eli keeps sending him back. You know, the God keeps calling him. He thinks it's Eli, and finally, you know, here I am, here I am. So, just I'm on the spot here. Here I am. He replied, "I am God, the God of your father." He said, "Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you. I will surely bring you back again." And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. Then Jacob left Be'er Shabbat. And Israel's sons took their father, Jacob, and their children and their wives and the carts that Pharaoh had sent to transport him. So Jacob and all of his offspring went to Egypt, taking with them their livestock and the possessions they had acquired in Canaan. Jacob brought with him to Egypt his sons, his grandsons, and his daughters and granddaughters, all his offspring. So, Mick, what key things does God communicate to Jacob? He reminds Jacob of a couple hundred things. One of them is, the first thing he reminds him is, I am your God, mm. which is very big. And um, we had, not too long ago, done a series on Peter. And one of the big things that we noticed when Peter was writing is, and I write these things to remind you. Reminders are so important. And so, yeah, I, mean, we, I don't want to minimize the fact that God is reminding him, I am your God. The other thing is, he's telling him not to fear the trip to Egypt. Um, and, I, and I think this kind of goes back to Genesis uh, 15, where, you know, God talks about things happening, you know, and uh, I want people to read, so I'm not going to tell them everything, you know, but they should read Gen- uh, Genesis chapter 15 so that they can kind of understand what, what is in the backdrop of, of Jacob's mind. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that's very important there. You know, and I'll even kind of bring it down to verses 13 and 14 just so they, they have a focal point. But really, the whole chapter, just to keep it all in context, uh, he's telling them not to fear the trip to, to Egypt, um, that Israel would become a nation there, and that Jacob was going to die there, too. Mm. So he, he gives them quite a lot. Yeah, the Hebrew there, verse 3, is, you know, I am uh, Ha'el, the God, I am God. Mm, yes. And then, so he uses the word, God uses for himself, El, and also, uh, so that's, sing, that's, that's, that's a singular noun for himself, and then he uses Elohe, which is a version of Elohim. So mm-hmm. it's, he uses a singular and a plural for himself there. So, I am God, the God of your father. So Elohim is present, but also El. Yeah. God refers to him as El here. Okay, so... Great thought there. How does Jacob respond in your estimation? Bottom line, he obeys. He, he packs up and goes. I mean, and even before that, be, I mean, before he even hears God tell him that, he does offer up a sacrifice in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But once he's told what, what he needs to hear from God, I mean, that's beautiful to be able to hear from God directly that way. He, he just packs up and goes. Mm-hmm. I like how God brings up Joseph. Because mm-hmm. obviously God is not surprised where Joseph's mm-hmm. at. And it's good to hear 
what was most important to Jacob, which was I'm going to go finally see my boy yeah. who's alive and I have a chance to see him again, that all this time God knows where he's at. Yeah. And Joseph's own hand's going to do it. You're, 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 you're going to go see Joseph and I know you are. And I like that God's present with Jacob, even in a moment that, that was hard, but also a moment of rejoicing. Yeah. And now a moment of just rejoicing and he can't wait to get going. And, and yet once again, don't be afraid. It's just, that's just, it's a cool moment there between, between a patriarch yes. and the God of the patriarchs. Yeah. It's just kind of cool. All right. Eight to 27, the big chunk here. Um, this is going to, I'm going to try to make these as Englishified as possible. Englishified English as English as possible. I'm, I'm not going to try to get in the weeds with the Hebrew because it really doesn't matter that much. Um, these are just uh, going to be a nice genealogy. So these are the names of the sons of Israel. So Jacob and his descendants who went to Egypt. Reuben, the firstborn of Jacob. The sons of Reuben, Hanok, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. The sons of Simeon. Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jakin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of the Canaanite woman. The sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. And if you are a lover of the book of Leviticus and especially the book of Numbers, you find out more about those three sons and the, the specific tribes or the specific roles they have. The sons of Judah, Er, Onan, Shelah, Perez, and Zerah. And there's a parenthesis here. But Aaron Onan had died in the land of Canaan. The sons of Perez, Huzron, and Hamul. The sons of Issachar, Tola, Pua, Jashub, and Shimron. The sons of Zebulun, Sered, Elan, and Jalil. These were the sons Leah bore to Jacob and Padan Aram, besides his daughter Dinah. These sons and daughters of his were 33 in all. The sons of Gad, Zephan, Hagi, Shuni, Ezban, Iri, Erodi, and, and Areli. The sons of Asher, Imna, Ishva, Ishvi, and Beriah. Their sister was Sarah, the sons of Bariah, Heber, and Malkiel. These were the children born to Jacob by Zilpah, whom Laban had given to his daughter Leah, sixteen in all. The sons of Jacob's wife, Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin in Egypt. Manasseh and Ephraim were born to Joseph by Asenat, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. The sons of Benjamin, Bela, Beker, Ashbel, Gerad, Naaman, Ehi, Rosh, Mupim, Hupim, and Ard. Well, evidently, Benjamin was uh, having a family there. My goodness. Um, I mean, Joseph was busy saving Israel, as it were. But these were the sons of, of Rachel who were born to Jacob, 14 and all. The sons of Dan, the son of Dan, Hushim. The sons of Naphtali, Jaziel, Guni, Jezer, and Shilem. These were the sons born to Jacob by Bilhah, whom Laban had given to his daughter Rachel, 7 and all. All those who went to Egypt with Jacob... We're going to 27. All those who went to Egypt with Jacob, those who were his direct descendants, not counting his son's wives, numbered 66 persons. With the two sons who had been born to Joseph in Egypt, the members of Jacob's family, which went to Egypt, were 70 in all. Well, well, any thoughts regarding this list and what it represents, Mick? Well, not a whole lot of thought, but I'll, I will say this. I think that the, the number 70 is significant, and it's probably along the lines that this is a complete number, you know. And I think that this is kind of like when we look at things that God does, he has a reason for everything, mm -hmm. and that might be the reason why, because seven, 70, rep, you know, sevens is always used in the Bible very heavily, and it represents something. And I think the fact that he got Jacob's clan up to 70, it's like, the time is right now. Yeah, 70 is, is one of God's numbers multiplied by one of God's numbers. Yeah. God uses 7 and God uses 10. Yeah. And, and and very soon God would issue um, a couple of very famous 10s, the 10 plagues and the yes. 10 commandments. And that hasn't come yet. That's not the next book. But still, it's, it's a very complete number there. Yes. Yeah, there's not much to say here. I mean... Those of you who uh, are maybe the only other thing I can say is poor Dan, only one kid, only one kid. <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah, and you know we're we're glad that Benjamin had a lot of kids, and you know it wasn't his fault that his older brother was languishing in a pit, mm -hmm. you know, and you know not able, you know, sold into slavery. I mean, Benjamin essentially was living the life Jacob would have lived. Yeah. And had nothing of this happened to him, so or Joseph would have lived. Yeah. Pardon me. Yeah. So okay. So now we're so there's nothing more to say about this, but it's just it's great to see these are names that have existed from history. 
and they they're you know i i probably pronounce half of them wrong but that's okay all right we continue 28 to 33 now jacob sent judah ahead of him to joseph to get directions to goshen when they arrived in the region of goshen joseph had his chariot made ready and went to goshen to meet his father israel as soon as joseph appeared before him he threw his arms around his father and wept for a long time israel said to joseph now I am ready to die, since I have seen for myself that you are still alive. Then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and speak to Pharaoh and will say to him, My brothers and my father's household who are living in the land who were living in the land of Canaan have come to me. The men are shepherds, they tend livestock, and they have brought along their flocks and herds and everything they own. When Pharaoh calls you in and asks, What is your occupation? You should answer, your servants have tended livestock from our boyhood on, just as our fathers did. Then you will be allowed to settle in the region of Goshen, for all shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. All right, well, what steps did both Jacob and Joseph take to make this moment happen here? Well, one of the things that happened was that uh, Joseph coached them very well as far as how to go about approaching Pharaoh and securing the land of Goshen. Mm. Even though it was discussed in the earlier chapter that that was going to happen, you know, it, until something is done, you still take all the necessary steps till it's done. Mm. And so he's, he's coaching them, this is what you're going to say. He's already privy to giving you the land. Just make sure because, you know, I think any, any deal can fall apart. So you, you, this is just kind of making sure that everything goes through according to plan. Mm. And that's, that's what, what I think is, is going on here. So he coaches them very well as far as how to do that. Yeah, I noticed he didn't send Reuben or Simeon. He sent Judah ahead. Yeah. And uh, so we see Jacob, or if you want to say Israel, because both are listed in the text here. Yeah. He sent Judah ahead. So Judah is still in that leadership role. Yes. So he's still that kind of redeemed villain. Yeah. Here he is yeah. now leading his family. And and I really like how Joseph didn't wait for Dad to come by him. Yeah. He instead got in his fastest mode of transportation. Yeah. And hot, hightailed towards him, and found his. He got into a chariot and took off. And so this is, the you know it, it's not a fair thing here, but it's it's almost like in the prodigal son story, the father is looking for the boy and he mm. sees him from far off and he runs. Yeah. And it's like Joseph wants to have this happen so quickly, so fast. Yeah. He's, he's been missing dad. I just like how Joseph gets it get, gets into a chariot. Yeah. And 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 you know and we just assume with the chariot, we've all seen the clips of Ben Hur. Mm -hmm. We know chariots can move. They were the fastest things in their day. And he he rode it. it's riding in style, yes, but it's also with speed. Mm -hmm. And so he was making sure to get there. I just I like that. It's just yeah. he's he's anticipating it and he's, it's great. All right. So, uh, how powerful was this scene? Oh, this is very emotional. There's there's something about the face to face versus just getting the the good tidings, the good news, even if it's a reliable good thing. It's kind of like even even us with salvation. You know, we're we're excited at the fact that we're saved, but mm. I mean, I I I don't think there, that words can express what it's going to be like once Jesus comes back. Mm. Once we see Jesus face to face, I don't think we're. we're We'll really be ready for the impact of that, you know. Wow. Yeah, because he he hasn't seen his dad yeah, since he, the very first chapter. When his dad says, "Go go 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 take this message to your brothers," or go check on them. Yeah, right? go go check him out, and he wasn't happy with yeah. him, and go 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 see what's going on, and then. Yeah, so he left his dad not with the greatest leaving. It wasn't mm -hmm. like it was, you know. He had, you know, he knew I wasn't going to see him for a while, so they had a nice goodbye. No, it was just business as usual. Then, yeah. then he hasn't seen Dad for all this time. And now we learned last week that his dad is still alive, and there's yeah. a great rejoicing and weeping over his brothers. He he uncovered his, himself, you know, from behind the scenes. Here I am. And it was a great moment. But he still hasn't seen Dad yet. Yeah. So th this, is, this is great. I mean, this is... This is Joseph's dreams coming true right here. I mean, and even speaking from a human perspective, dad could have died on the road. Mm. So, there, so yeah, there's, you know, you're talking about the anticipation, the eagerness of, of seeing Jacob. And, and then there's that as well, you know. 
Yeah, in fact, I mean, would you say this is this is the uh, like I just mentioned Joseph's dream coming true? Is this it? Where just about just about, <laughs> just about. almost okay. We we, we won't, we're we're almost we're, like we're there. Almost like right there. Like that one hundred. It's like we're at the. It's like that 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 slow uploading <laughs> computer. You know, it's almost ninety nine point nine something, and it's still not done yet. Well, do you have any closing thoughts, Mick, from chapter 46? That was, a, that was a quick chapter, but a lot yeah. of that was just reading a list of names. Well, so. I, I think one of the big things with that chapter is, is it just goes to show how, how God is working in a very progressive manner. And he's unfolding his promises. You know, uh, He's developing the things that, that, that he has said. You know the things that he said to to Abraham even in Genesis chapter twelve. Yeah. You know things that that he kind of mentioned in, in Genesis fifteen. And and there's a matter, there's a matter of time in in this thing. And and boy, were there uh, there was also a matter of detours. And man, were there detours. But the thing is that that what we're seeing is that as as we see this unfold is that that we can rest assured that God is both sovereign mm. and faithful. Mm. You know, and I think that's kind of like the constant reminders is pretty much like from week to week that we keep seeing about here is just the unfolding of God's sovereignty and his faithfulness. And that's something that's going to be big for not just the nation of Israel, but also for us as Christians, too. Right. Yeah, I just love those words. That's the sovereignty and faithfulness, indeed. I love those words in verse 3 and 4. Because if you look at, let's say, the... Uh, the story in the book of Ruth where there was a famine in the land. Mm. And so Elimelech and all of them, they left Bethlehem, which was, you know, in the Hebrew, the city of bread or house of bread. And so they left the place of bread mm -hmm. to go to some other land to find bread. Mm. And so you could argue that there is a, you know, why would they leave God's territory? Did yeah. they really trust? So we have here God saying here to them, don't be afraid I'm going to make you a great nation, but there. Yeah. And so God's unfolding his plan, but then I will go with you. And then guess what? All this energy and time, you know, it's going to be, you know, eventually in the book of Exodus, you know, in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, to get you back to the promise. It's like, this is your land. Yeah. And I'm going to bring you back here and bring you back here again. And he doesn't quite, J Jacob doesn't quite understand what's going to unfold and I wonder how it was for Moses writing this down. Mm -hmm. Because <laughs> Moses is going to live the last 40 years of his life trying to get the people leading them back to the promised land. And him, himself not really going to make it. Yeah. He's going to write down these words that he himself is not going to live these words. Right. I mean, this is, I will surely bring you back again. I love how God is present in Jacob's story. Yeah. And before he leaves the land, God gives him a reminder, hey, you and I still have something. Yeah. And I got something with your pops and with your granddad. Yeah. And we, we, we got something here, and I don't want you to forget that. Just because we're leaving this land doesn't mean you've left me or that you've left my... Just because you're leaving my land doesn't mean you're leaving the place where I, where I can have an influence. It's like, it's like I'm not some territorial yeah. God. I'm God. It's like I am the L. Like I am him. And yeah. so you can continue to trust me, and I'm going to bring you back. So there's a future for you, and I like that. Yeah. And I, I like that God promises us a future and that God gives us hope and calms our fears. There's just so much about that meeting him right at the border. Yeah. I just, I love that. Yeah. And it's just, it's really great. So, all right. Well, good thoughts from, um, from chapter 46. Excuse me. Who would have thought? All right. So chapter 47, we have to journeying forth here. One to 12. Joseph went and told Pharaoh, My father and brothers with their flocks and herds and everything that they own have come from the land of Canaan and are now in Goshen. He chose five of his brothers and presented them before Pharaoh. Pharaoh asked the brothers, What is your occupation? Well, your servants are shepherds, they replied to Pharaoh, just as our fathers were. They also said to him, We have come to live here for a while, because the famine is severe in Canaan, and your servants' flocks have no pasture. So now... Please let your servants settle in Goshen. Yeah, going to, going to 12. Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you, and the land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best part of the land. Let them live in Goshen. And if you know of any among them with special ability, put them charge of my own livestock. 
Then Joseph brought his father Jacob in and presented him before Pharaoh. After Jacob blessed Pharaoh, Pharaoh asked him, How old are you? <laughs> Quite a thing to ask an old man there. I guess Pharaoh gets away with it. And Jacob, <laughs> and Jacob said to Pharaoh, The years of my pilgrimage are 130. I guess I should have an old man voice here. In my day, my years have been few and difficult, and they do not equal the years of the pilgrimage of my fathers. Then Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. So Joseph settled his father and his brothers in Egypt and gave them property in the best part of the land, the district of Ramesses, as Pharaoh directed. Joseph also provided his father and his brothers and all of his father's household with food according to the number of their children. Well then, so Professor D, how did the encounter with Jacob and Pharaoh go? Well, I think it went maybe a little too pleasant for the sake of a story, uh, maybe even anticlimactic, and but still, uh, in in a in a bold uh, faith move there, I, you know, I think uh, Jacob, the shepherd, the elderly old man shepherd, blesses Pharaoh, and he does it twice. Hmm. You would think that it would be the other way around, you know. I'm the prominent king of the only surviving kingdom at this rate. And no, it's Jacob blessing the Pharaoh. Yeah, it's very tempting, Mick, to, to, to view this text as kind of redundant. Because didn't last chapter end where Pharaoh said, when you come here, um, you get to have this territory. Mm -hmm. And this is almost, I mean, would you say this is kind of like Jacob double-checking everything? I think it was more formalities and yeah. everything too. There's there's a there's an element of formality and again anything you know, human nature. People change their minds. You're talking about a pagan king here. Anything can still happen. So, you know, they're still doing what they have to do. I like that. Yeah. How do you think Joseph is presented in this text? How do you how do you read it? Well, you know, Joseph Joseph is is is, is the family hero and, and he, he who saves the day. And, and Joseph is just kind of like this perfect intermediary figure in this whole transaction. And he's using his influence for, for the benefit of his family. And he's using it well. That's, that's it. He's kind of like this consigliere character. Yeah. yeah. But he's using his influence. That's, that's beautiful, Mick. Yeah. That's great. All right. So moving right along, 13 to 26. Because the story moves right along, so we, we might as well keep moving right along. <laughs> All right, so there was no food, however, in the whole region because the famine was severe. And you've got to pardon me, I'll have to turn a page here. Both Egypt and Canaan wasted away because of the famine. Joseph collected all the money that was to be found in Egypt and Canaan in payment for the grain they were buying, and he brought it to Pharaoh's palace. When the money of the people of Egypt and Canaan was gone, all Egypt came to Joseph and said, Give us food! Why should we die before your eyes? Our money is all gone. And we're going to 26. Then bring your livestock, said Joseph. I will sell you food in exchange for your livestock, since your money is gone. So they brought the livestock to Joseph, and he gave them food in exchange for their horses, their sheep and goats, their cattle and donkeys. And he brought them through that year with food in exchange for all their livestock. When that year was over, they came to him the following year and said, We cannot hide from our Lord the fact that since our money is gone... And our livestock belongs to you. There is nothing left for our Lord except our bodies and our land. Why should we perish before your eyes? We and our land as well. Buy us and, and our land in exchange for food. And we with our land will be in bondage to Pharaoh. Give us seed so that we may live and not die. So that the land may not become desolate. So Joseph bought all the land in Egypt for Pharaoh. The Egyptians, one and all, sold their fields because the famine was too severe for them. The land became Pharaoh's, and Joseph reduced the people to servitude from one end of Egypt to the other. However, he did not buy the land of the priests because they received a regular allotment from Pharaoh and had food enough from the allotment that Pharaoh gave them. That is why they did not sell their land. Joseph said to the people, Now that I have bought you and your land today for Pharaoh, here is seed for you so you can plant the ground. But when the crop comes in, give a fifth of it to Pharaoh. The other four-fifths you may keep as seed for the fields and as food for yourselves and for your households and your children. You have saved our lives, they said. May we find favor in the eyes of our Lord. We will be in bondage to Pharaoh. So Joseph established it as law concerning land in Egypt, still enforced today, that a fifth of the produce belongs to Pharaoh. 
It was only the land of the priests that had not become Pharaoh's. Oh my goodness. So make this was a, a, an unfolding here of a kind of government takeover of private mm-hmm. property, as it were, for the sake yeah. of survival. But what do you think the main point of this section is? I, I think um, one of the, the key things here is that the severity of the famine actually accentuates the greatness of the salvation that is to be had. Mm. You know. The severity of the famine accentuates the greatness of the salvation. Verse verse 25 is the one that, look, when the Egyptians are saying, you saved our lives, they said, mm. you know, may we find favor in the Lord. We will be in bondage to Pharaoh. They're not doing this kind of begrudgingly. There, there's a sense of gratitude that comes out of this great salvation. Mm. We, we can't kid ourselves that no matter how free any of us thinks we really are, mm. ultimately, we are always going to be under someone or something. The only person who, whom that doesn't apply to is God because he's the only person who doesn't owe his existence to anyone. Mm. Everyone, no matter how great they are, owes their existence to someone. So there, there's, there's a sense in which we are always a slave to something. Mm. And, and I think that when we realize that we've been saved, you know, instead of having this kind of like this defiance attitude always about everything, it's like, Oh, Christianity is bo- you know, so burdensome. No, it's not. It's actually quite liberating when you, when you realize the reality mm-hmm. of the situation. Hmm. Yes. I like how you unpack that. I, th- I think we need to revisit that towards the end. That sounds like a closing thought material, like a good <laughs> application of this. Yeah, and in fact, as we talk, I'm, I'm going to be chewing over that in the, in the back of my brain here for a while. But uh, how is Joseph presented? Well, again... Joseph, at this point, he's presented as wise. He's presented as resourceful. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to also emphasize the last one that probably a lot of people will, would probably leave off the list, and that would be compassionate. The reason I said, say this is because he could have well off said, well, that's your tough luck. Hmm. And he doesn't do that. He finds a way to save people. Mm-hmm. Not just his family here, the people of the land as well. And it talks about the land of Egypt and Canaan. So he's saving a lot of people, mm. you know. Yeah, this is this. I mean, if if you look at this text here from just a pure property standpoint, it's very depressing. Yeah, but if you see them as starving and there's a solution, if and there's salvation, if you have a worldview where this, it's about materialism, yeah, mm. this could be very depressing. This is why humanism fails right here mm-hmm. because. And from a purely humanistic standpoint, this is a takeover and and freedom turning into bondage for the sake of, 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 of a biological reality of I need to eat. Yeah. So now we must all become slaves so we can eat. And a philosopher might say, well, gosh, the ends justify the means. You have, you're not starving, mm-hmm. are you? So what if you lost everything? And and I kind of see hear you saying here, no, it's not what they lost, it's what they gained. Yeah, they're they're keeping their lives. Yeah, and and that they're they're interpreting it that way. We've yeah. gained salvation. Yeah, and salvation in the literal Old Testament sense of, I have a problem I cannot possibly solve, so I'm going to turn to someone greater than me yeah. to solve my problem. And they've somehow viewed Joseph, and Pharaoh as greater entities. Mm-hmm. They turn to. Yeah, and yeah, that's that's yeah. I I, I like where that is going here because. It's not. It's not over spiritualizing the text. It's taking the text at face value. Right. But it's just that's our story too. I mean, bottom line, Joseph saved lives here, and they brought up salvation. Yeah. You saved our lives. They you said. saved our lives. So we're not. We're not putting there. that anywhere. They yeah. said it, and then they bring up this idea of grace. Even mm-hmm. may we find favor. Yeah. That's what grace is. But may we find favor, and 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 it's, at this point they've got nothing. They they themselves are sold to Pharaoh and their and all everything about them and their land all their money they're just mm-hmm. so basically all we have is ourselves so now we, may we find favor and, and, and I think it also goes to show you know at, at at some point there comes a point where none of the things that we think are really important are important mm. owning land owning livestock jobs you know whatever mm. there's so much we we don't control. Mm. Any other thoughts about Joseph here, or no? That's pretty much sums it up. I mean, wise, compassionate, and um, and very resourceful. 
And obviously, we know we know he got his wisdom from God too. We see God's fingerprints all over the brother. Mm. All right. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we continue with. I just had a, a thought in the back of my head, so I quickly looked up my Bible on my computer, but I'm see if I'll, I'll go there at the end. We'll see. All right, so we are in uh, 28 to 31. So we're going to finish this text here. Jacob lived in Egypt 17 years, and the years of his life were 147. When the time drew near for Israel to die, he called for his son Joseph and said to him, If I have found favor in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you will show me kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt. But when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. I will do as you say, he, I will do as you say, he said. Swear to me, he said. Then Joseph swore to him. And Israel worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Wow. So uh, how did the people of Israel end up there, Mick? Well, I mean, as we can see from the text, they thrived. Hmm. They did very well for themselves. And they, yeah, it, it's as if the the very favor that the now enslaved or in bondage Egyptians were, mm -hmm. may we find favor in your eyes. It appears that when God said he's going to go with them, yeah. but God went with them. Yeah. Because if we're just looking, it's kind of like from a God's providence standpoint, if we're just looking at it like like we look at Esther, mm -hmm. it's like the Jews had the edict against them, but they survived. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they had they had like the double decree against them, but somehow they were able to survive. God showed them favor, even yeah. if they didn't see it. And I don't know if at this point they see what God has done, but Israel, I mean, they they landed nicely. Yeah, of all things. Yeah, which you know, for those of us who are, who are very familiar with the with the the book of Exodus, you know it's it's we we like this kind of landing nicely now because yeah. it's not going to always be peaches and cream, right? All right. So, your any thoughts make on verses twenty nine and thirty? I think the big thing when I was looking at it and, and thinking about it, uh, the big thing is oh, I'm using the word big like a hundred times there. The promised land is a big deal. It was a big deal to them. Those promises that God had made to them, especially tied to the promised land, which which is very important, you know, um, you know, it's it, it's tied to God's promises, and once again, it goes to highlight God's faithfulness, mm. you know, to Abraham, and as we also see God's faithfulness towards Abraham and and, and Israel. I think that that's something that we as Christians benefit from looking at. Just seeing God's faithfulness. You know, the Jews are still around. They have been conquered horrifically. You know, first by the Babylonians. Mm. And then later with the, with the Greco-Roman uh, Greco empires. I mean, any people group that has been kind of expelled from their land for... A long period of time loses their identity. By rights, there should be no Israel, no Jews today. Mm. Unless there's something supernatural behind it. Look, there is no Aztec people anymore. Mm. There are no Mayans. There are, you know, my, my native Puerto Rico, uh, the Tainos. They, those, they don't exist like, like that anymore as such. There's not an official Taino nation. They're, exactly. <laughs> there is a nation of Israel. And this happened, and, and mind you, and with those uh, those that I mentioned, we're talking about 500 years of conquest. The mm -hmm. Jews were landless for 2,000 years. Mm -hmm. That's like quadruple the amount of time, as if 500 years was something to sneeze at. And on top of it, you quadruple that, and you realize they're still there. To me, it's like, I look at it, and, and, and the biggest things that, that convinced me that Jehovah Yahweh is the one true God is the fact that, A, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus as a verifiable historical fact. And the other thing is the existence of Israel as a nation today because of things like this. Mm. Well, speaking of this moment here, so had something changed between Jacob and Joseph 
by this point in the story? And if so, what had changed? You know, I, I, w- I, w- I was thinking about that more. And as far as, like, the real change, it's just that um, I, I think a lot of it is just that Jacob knows he's about to die. Mm. And he knows he's in Egypt at this point. And he, want, and he knows that Joseph is the one guy who can make it happen. Right. Make sure that my bones are not stuck here. I want this taken back to the promised land. Again, it's a big deal. You know, these are, and, and for them, it is very big because it, it, you know, Christians, you could talk about, you know, the emphasis is on the spiritual things, but for the Jews especially, it, it, it also had to do with the physical world. This is why the millennial yeah. kingdom is going to be very big. This is why a lot of things in end times focuses on the nation of Israel, because God is fulfilling promises. Well, in the very beginning of, of, of our journey, Joseph, Joseph when he when when they when they they brought him before dad and t- mm-hmm. tell him your dream again and dad kind of had the dad move there yeah. dad, dad was dad was dad and joseph was not dad yeah. and here i i see like there's a power reversal like like you yeah. said he's at the end of his life he's not talking to judah anymore yeah. he's talking to joseph the 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 one who knows is in charge the yeah. one he knows he recognizes is god's used him to save yeah. okay so and you know he, he he knows that god is behind this because God already let that cat out of the bag. You know, yeah. I, I, you're going to go see Joseph now. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's it's almost as like okay, he's he's willing to submit to Joseph's well, leadership. As we saw in the opening week, we also realized that that you know after Joseph, uh, I'm sorry, after Jacob, kind of like hey, cut it out with the with the with the dream bragging, but it, it, and then the, the the following verse says, but he still kept thinking about it. Mm. You know. Pondered it, yeah. He pondered it afterwards. Now I don't know what this deal with the thigh is. I I could not imagine a scenario where yeah. I, I would have wanted to put my thigh, my hand, and but any or any guy's thigh. Um, but I would imagine this. I'm gonna this, leave it as some sort of customary thing that I just don't understand or know. I I didn't look this up. I probably should have, but it, it, maybe a commentator would speak about it. Uh, you know, Jacob did wrestle with God, and mm-hmm. God did put one of his hip parts out of socket. Yeah. And I mean, there was something about like God touched his thigh, you yeah. know, after the wrestling match, you know, yeah. kind of thing. And I wonder if that ties in where that's the very special, like that that's a sign of God's promise where God yeah. literally touched him. Yeah. And now for, for the sake of Jacob, it's like, okay, he promised me and then maybe touch this part that God touched. Yeah. And when God changed my name, kind of, I wonder yeah. if, if for, for, for Jacob's sense, that's a, that's a part of his body that, you know, no one's going to randomly touch, but right. he would, he would put that with God's faithfulness and God's promises right. and God's yeah sovereignty. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that would, because otherwise it's very random. Hey, touch. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. I mean, it's probably <laughs> the best sense of, of all the things that I've kind of read on this. It's like place your hand there and then, and, and tie that, that touch with a promise. Yeah. And so there's something, and, and then, and then with your promise, may that promise be a kind thing for me. Yeah. And they give give this old man a you know, you know basically he doesn't have to say I'm gonna be buried next to my wife yeah you know be somewhere by her not in this land I you know it's that Rachel I worked so many years for yeah and that her 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 son that got taken from me I just want to go be back and buried yeah buried with my fathers but also you know Rachel's dead too so yeah. to be buried back by her um, so all right so I uh, as we close this out here. Verse 31 just happens to be something that the New Testament literally mentions in uh, what many call the Hall of Fame chapter of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21. Uh, So I'll I'll read verse 31 of our text today, and then I'll read verse 21 of Hebrews 11. So swear to me, he said, then Joseph swore to him, and Israel worshiped as he leaned on top of his staff. So now to Hebrews. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of his Joseph's sons, and that's going to be um, it'll be it'll be the part of the scripture we don't read next week, but it's in the in between chapters, mm-hmm. and worshipped as he leaned on top of his staff. So, any thoughts about just the connection? Do you, did, you, did anything stick out to you about that connection? Or honestly, um, <laughs> no. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm just you, I'm just reading the the Hebrews as as the commentary on that. Mm. So I'm gonna, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna recall Hebrews by faith Jacob. As he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worship, leaning on the top of his staff. I mean, the big thing there is, is just the fact that Joseph's going to have two sons that 
that get tribe tribes, you know, kind of he gets two for the right. price of one versus all his other kids. Right. So there's no there is no tribe of Joseph. Yeah. But instead Joseph is now two instead yes. of one. So Joseph still gets the honor. Yeah. Yeah, I I see this as connecting back and to And then even kind of getting a little bit even mm-hmm. I'm gonna cheat here a little since we're not gonna read it next week. But you know, we're we're uh, in, in the in the conversation Jacob has with, with mm-hmm. Joseph, he's like, you know, um your two kids are going to be my kids. They're right. not your kids. They're my kids. Right. Now. And yeah, their their kids can be your your kids. But your two kids are my kids. Mm. You know, I, I'm taking hold of them as part of the God's covenant people. You know. Yeah, and I, and I see this kind of like this. I know this is later. I don't mean to go to Ruth again, but it's kind of like what Ruth does with Boaz. Well, Boaz kind of lets Ruth know. I'm going to go off my memory here. That you know, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord provide for you, mm-hmm. kind of thing. When he sees her, and then when 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 Ruth meets Boaz on the threshing room floor, and that mm-hmm. kind of clandestine clandestine moment there she is essentially telling boaz hey remember that prayer you prayed over me mm-hmm. answer that prayer yeah. i want you to be that answer and so here it is here uh, god has promised jacob i'm going to be with you mm-hmm. and i'm going to bring you back again so now before he dies it's like jacob is telling joseph you're going to be the answer to the prayer yeah. If you can promise me, you will be God's answer to, my, to that prayer. Yeah. That God is going to bring me back again. Here it is. Yeah. Now, will, will you show me kindness and answer God? Answer that prayer. Basically, be be the one who 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 is what, how God fulfills that promise to me. Yeah. And that is. And so I I see that I I see I see Ruth right there. Just answer your prayer. Be be faithful and be be the one that I. I that will answer that prayer to provide for me and for Naomi mm-hmm. and for your family members. I get to see jo- Jacob here just telling Joseph that way. Show me kindness. Yeah. Show me that loving kindness that our God has and answer God's, you know, fulfill God's promise. Right. Uh, you, you, you are the one to do it because obviously you got, God was going to make it happen, but God uses people all the time to right. accomplish his plan. And so, that's that's how I I that that that's what seems right to my understanding here. Yeah. I don't know if that's, you know, yay or nay on that, but it it just it just sounds. So so then the Hebrews portion there is that moment when when he did that, when he had that conversation with 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 his son Joseph. That was faith. Yes. Because he took God at His word. Yeah. And he invited. Joseph to come in and be a part of that faith story. Yeah. To be a part of the fulfillment of that, but never once doubting God's promise, mm-hmm. even though he was physically going to die in Goshen, yeah, not in Israel, yeah, not in not on the Promised Land. He had to kind of just like all the other patriarchs, God had to see the, you know, kind of wave wave at God's promises. He didn't get to realize God's promise. He had to take God at His word, yeah. And so He's telling Joseph, "Bring me back." So yeah. that was faith there, the, the faith that's trusting in God's plan, yeah. even though he's going to die in a pagan land. Yeah. So that's how Hebrews can bring it in. That's kind of cool. Yeah. So any closing thoughts? Well, actually, that's kind of along the lines of where I was going. You know, <laughs> the start of the chapter. And I didn't know that. So. And no, I know. And at the start of the chapter and this ending verse here, you know, we've talked about it being Joseph's story. Then we talked about it being Judah's story. Mm. And I think in this chapter here, it kind of comes back to, to the guy who started it all, Jacob. It's Jacob's story. Now it's Jacob's. This is Jacob's moment. We got the spotlight on Jacob from, from I mean, the fact that he blessed, he knew he was, he, he was, he was in the upper hand when he blessed Pharaoh. Mm. Even though he seemed to be, uh, uh, you know, on the opposite side. He was on the upper hand. This ending here, and then again, with the confirmation of Hebrews commentary on this, once again, it highlights Jacob's faith. He's seeing the fulfillment of Joseph's dream. He's seeing the faithfulness of God's promise. You know, um, Jacob has, has, has always been something of a, of a black sheep mm. himself, you know. Amen. And, um, and now he's got this great faith moment. And I think one of the beautiful things is this is a guy who's 147 years old. <laughs> I mean, God can wait for you. Don't, don't test him. God, but God can wait as as long as He has to to get you to that place where He wants you to be. Mm. And I think that that's kind of one of the the beauties of of, of wow. this multi layered story that we 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 we've gotten to journey through right now. 
To have a faith like Jacob means that even when life is not exactly working out as you've planned it, mm-hmm. you still take God at his word. Mm-hmm. You trust that what he's promised is going to come true. Yeah. And you may even invite other people into that story Yeah. to, you know, are you going to be God's answer to my to, to that prayer? Yeah. Are you going to be the one that God uses? Yep. And yeah, I mean, that's great. I mean, the same way we're, not to go back to Ruth again, but she tells Naomi, where you go, I will go. Where you die, I will die. Your God is my God now. And so now she sees Boaz and she invokes that very God. May Yahweh, you know, may this be a moment where God provides. And so may that very prayer you gave me, may you answer that prayer. So she had faith. It's a faith mm-hmm. moment for Ruth. It's a faith moment for yeah. Jacob here to say, yeah. to say, you know, jo- Joseph, be that answer to the prayer. Yeah. Come along this story and don't ever forget this faithful God who promised. Yeah. And that's, that, that's the best kind of faith of all, just take God at his word. Yeah. And this very God who who got out the border before they left Israel and said, "Hey, don't you forget this? Right. I'm going to bring you back." He held on to that. Yeah, and, and, and it's and beautiful. I, just, I love the way the story came back to Jacob. I mean, you know, it went through his sons, but it comes back to Jacob, and and I think it's very key because again, he is the patriarch. Amen. Yeah, I I, I don't really want to take away from that now. I I think that's a great way to close. The only thing that's stuck in my mind, but something you said earlier, kind of as I land the plane, um, kind of in a general Christian standpoint, uh, I love love verse 25. You have saved our lives, they Mm, said. May we find favor in the eyes of our Lord. We will be in bondage to Pharaoh. And I I just think something you had said earlier, Mick, that just really stood out to me, that they had... They had a great problem, but they had an even greater salvation. Yeah. It's kind of like the John Newton, you know, who wrote Amazing Grace. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm a great sinner, but but Christ is an even greater Savior mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah. It's like there's something, a really big problem requires a really big salvation. Yeah. And so this is, this is massive. So may we find favor in the eyes of our Lord. We'll be in bondage of Pharaoh. It reminded me of I, I couldn't I didn't know what it was so I had to I had to look it up real quick I knew it was in Romans, and it's Romans six nineteen so six eighteen says, "You have been set free from sin, and have become slaves to righteousness." Mm-hmm. This idea of in verse nineteen, so you um, you're you're no longer used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever increasing wickedness. So now, offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. And so, in the case of the Egyptians, they were slaves to their physical starvation. Mm-hmm. Okay, they were starving, they didn't have any food, they were slaves to that. And now, and these are their words, not mine, so mm-hmm. I'm not over-spiritualizing this. Yeah. They say, we will now be slaves to Pharaoh. So we're now going to be bond- in bondage, not to our hunger anymore, but now to you. Yeah. And so, I think... That's a very good theological concept for us that we who were once in bondage to our sins, now that we belong to Christ, who has paid for, who has provided for our salvation, who has accomplished, I mean, he has saved us. Yes. And so now to see ourselves like they saw themselves with Pharaoh, I mean, and it also I'm hi- slaves to Christ. Yeah, and it also highlights, do we truly appreciate our salvation? Do we truly get it that we can have this kind of an attitude of a mindset? Right. I think sometimes we we focus on the wrong things all too often. You know, it's like, oh man, but I'm still under so who cares? I'd rather be under the right person than than, than free to any other in any other circumstance. If salvation is just a band aid, I don't I don't need to be slaves in righteousness. Yeah. It's like okay, I'll I'll just take my medicine God and well everything will be okay. Yeah. No, this is I I, I'm like how uh, as the song how deep the chasm was between us. Like yeah. I was screwed. I, I mean, yeah. it's like I am dead in my sins. I have no hope at all. But God. And so now, what's my life? Yeah. My life. I've, I've been reconciled. I was God's enemy, and He chose to reconcile me to Him. Yeah. So yes, I'll be His slave. If that means I got to follow what Jesus says and deny myself and pick up a cross, Amen. Yeah. I mean, w- w- what's myself at this point? Right. I've been bought back from the slave block, as it were. 
It's like, so why wouldn't I just continue to be a slave? Mm-hmm. But now slave for the one who created me and who loves me so much that mm-hmm. he sent his son to die in my place. It's like, that's a slave to righteousness. So now, now I'm living to please him. I'm living for my life. And so just like the Egyptians here, we're now living at, at the favor of Pharaoh. Yeah. And by, and by extension, Joseph. Yeah. Because they're speaking. So they're, they're living just for, in that grace, that relationship that's completely based upon favor and grace. That's our story too. Yeah. As we follow the one who provided for our greatest need. Yeah. And our great problem, the greatest of all problems, received the greatest of all salvations. Yeah. And so now we live with that grace and that hope. Wow. I've never once thought about that regards to, till you mentioned the great problem. I never would have connected my story with Egypt because you know what? I think you're exactly right, Mick. This chapter... We've had Judah, we've had Joseph. This is Jacob's story. But you know what? This is also, to a degree, we're we're like those Egyptians. Yeah. This is the this this gives gives some cool context of their story and their journey yeah. as well. Yeah. And I just I love that 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 verses that verse three just just or excuse me verse twenty five of chapter forty seven. That that is just really that really hits me as a slave to Christ. Yeah. That's as a bond servant, if you will. But anyway, some great thoughts tonight. As always, a great journey. Uh, Professor D, I appreciate your wisdom and I appreciate uh, this conversation tonight. We conclude our we conclude our journey next week with with the uh, the great one of the greatest lines in all the Bible, and it'll be uttered by a, our, our hero. But it will. I hope we do it justice. It's, I, I, I do too. I mean, it, it really is that great verse. So make sure to, to plan for next week to join us for session seven, our journey with Joseph. This has been Masterclass Theology, uh, session six of our journey with Joseph tonight from Genesis 46 and 47. I'm Big Rev. And I'm Professor D. God bless. Amen. This has been Masterclass Theology. I pray you've been challenged and encouraged during today's episode, and I hope you'll continue to join us as we journey through the Bible. God bless.